what are you doing differently this time? And also what remains the same, like best practices that you want to kind of inherit from your previous company? And uh, yeah, uh, what are you doing differently as well? That's funny. I, my first answer was going to be, I'm doing everything differently because uh, I made so many mistakes. <laughs> I made so many mistakes right. the first time. I do not want to repeat those mistakes. Hello and welcome to Infinite Machine Learning. This is your host, Pratik Joshi. In each episode of this podcast, we talk to an amazing machine learning practitioner and dive deep into a specific topic. We have Greg Tapper on the show today. He's the co-founder and CEO of Pattern AI. They provide conversation intelligence for the enterprise. He was previously the founder and CEO of New Global, which he successfully sold to a large company after running it for 11 years. He has been a a management consultant, most recently at McKinsey, and he has degrees from UC Berkeley and Harvard. So in this episode, we cover a range of topics, including conversation intelligence, being a second-time founder, what they are building at Pattern AI, how they got their first five customers, how to choose your customers in the early days, and how to maintain product discipline as you scale a company. This is a fun episode. The wisdom that comes through from second-time founders is brilliant, and you can see the scar tissues, you can see the learnings, and it's just, overall, it's just nice to learn from them. Ready for liftoff? And three, and two, and one. Let's go! Greg, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, Pratik. Great to be here. Let's start with your time as the founder and CEO of New Global, right? You ran it for 11 years and then, uh, you know, successfully sold it uh, to to a large company. At the time, uh, it was the world's first you know, crowdsourced translation and outsourcing platform, right? 87 languages. So it's, it's a pretty big, you know, big product, big footprint. So in terms of company building, what are your top two to three key takeaways during this time? So I see so you definitely did your homework. That's pretty cool. It's great. <laughs> We're going way back, I guess, now, which is great. But yeah, that, was yeah. my, uh, that was my first company. I had just left investment banking at the time where I was living in New York, and, and I was making a good living and really enjoyed it. And I was young and, and, uh, and just felt this kind of, you know, urge to want to uh, you know, start and build a uh, a company. Now, if you go back then, and, and you know, as, as you notice here, you know, I've been doing this for a long time. But as you go back then, there there really were no resources for entrepreneurs. In fact, being an entrepreneur, especially in a city like New York, where you know it's all you know banking and consulting and sort of you know the high end uh, professions there. But even out in the valley, being an entrepreneur was not like what it is today, where it's not only common but it's actually pretty cool. To be an entrepreneur, so it was much more risky career-wise to, uh, you know, to to want to start a company and to actually start a company. Uh, that company was a pretty exciting company because we had, um, like a lot of startups, we had identified some interesting areas. We were actually selling translation software at the time because we just felt that um, there would be a good opportunity to assist with this, you know, the, the shift toward globalization, and we knew that people were going to be you know, working across different languages. And so we wanted to translate that. So we had this software, but then we quickly realized that there's an opportunity to, uh, to provide translation services to people. And the breakthrough in our uh, business model was when we had made it a web-based uh, platform that connected 
consumers of translation, like companies typically or, or news organizations, which was our focus, to be able to connect those consumers of translation, people who needed a translation, basically, uh, with thousands of translators in over, I don't know, you know, 80 or 100 different languages around the world. And so um, the way that we did that was, and this is going back to probably early 2000s, maybe 2003, 4, 5 or so. And uh, we built, as you mentioned, the world's first crowdsourced translation platform. So basically Uber for translations long before Uber was Uber. Um, and we weren't, you know, so brilliant. I, I think we were pretty smart uh, at the time. But, you know, there were like tutoring services where you could connect with, you know, tutors online and so on. And they're, they're still iterations of that today. Um, but it was a pretty exciting uh, business model for translations because nobody had done that in translations. Typically, you would go through an agency and it was a very, uh, very slow and expensive process. You sometimes had to fax people things, if you can imagine that. And we're just like, this is crazy. So I came from the Valley and I was living in New York and I said, we can do you know, something much more innovative. And we built this crowdsourced translation platform and, it, and, uh, and built a two-time Inc. 5000 company, all self-funded, organically grown through cash flow and so on. And, and it was a, a, a successful outcome. Perfect. Uh, that's a wonderful, I think, journey. And uh, and yeah, I think it, uh, doing it, you you did it before it was cool in the sense that uh, you you started way back and then uh, you know you ran it, built it into into something big. Now, fast forward to today, uh, you're now the co-founder and CEO of uh, Pattern AI. Now, before we dive into the company uh, about you know, providing conversation intelligence, let's talk about the founding moment. Like, what was the core? motivation behind launching uh, this company? And also, how did you discover this problem? So that's, that's a great question. It's an interest. It's actually, it's a fun story. Um, so I was at McKinsey and Company here in uh, Silicon Valley at uh, SVO, Silicon Valley office of the firm. And we were, um, like everybody at McKinsey, doing advanced analytics. That's what you do um, at McKinsey. And, and we were using machine learning to solve go-to-market problems like you know customer segmentation and things like that, and so what's interesting about consulting is it's the same ten questions you know regardless of client. So you've got you know client A, client B, client C. They're generally asking the same ten questions, and so um, I was on a uh, on a vacation with some investors, and um, and these are all you know people who are well ahead of me. They're you know a decade or so older and they're, you know, billionaires and very, very high net worth individuals. And they're all kind of talking about whatever he's doing one morning, you know, while we're having coffee. And one of them, who's a friend of mine, who's uh, a, a, a super angel here in the Valley, he's one of the most active angel investors here in the Valley, said, uh, hey, I really love what you're doing at McKinsey. Why don't you go turn that into a company and, you know, we'll back you. And I was like, well, that sounds pretty cool. And I would actually was really enjoying McKinsey. It was a amazing environment to work, terrific colleagues, just a, a super, you know, um, super experience. But, um, and then he called me a week later. He's like, Hey, you know, let's do this. I'm serious. He's like, go start this, go turn the company and, and I'll put the first million in. And I was like, you know, and it's one of those moments where, you know, the right thing to do and you, but it's, you don't have a lot of time to think about it really, because you just have to kind of act. And I was like, okay, this is, this is one of those moments. And I said, Okay, let's do it. And then so, you know, he put the first million in and um, and we started doing what we were doing uh, sort of at McKinsey. It was very different because, of course, it was a product focused thing versus, you know, a manual consulting thing. But we were answering the same questions like customer segmentation and so on. And so the net of it is that we identified a way through machine learning 
uh, and data pipelines and using you know really uh, pretty smart but early uh, infrastructure to uh, automate the process of customer segmentation. And even today, this is going back two and a half years ago as we were founded in 2020. Even today, there is no platform uh, really in the world that does customer segmentation like this. I mean, you could probably go, you, you can, of course, because we did, you can go build your own and so on, but there's no off-the-shelf platform where you can just pipe in like your Salesforce data, automatically apply you know, a bunch of different clustering algorithms to that data, and then come up with these really super uh, exciting customer segments and then analyze those. And so, you know, typically marketers and salespeople and so on use that. And so that was the moment where uh, we started the company. We started that based upon our expertise because I've been doing it for 10 or 15 years in management consulting. It's, it's like I knew the customer segmentation problem really well. And so it was easy to kind of start with that problem and then go back and figure out how to do it with machine learning. And that's how we got started. And, and of course, now we sort of evolved uh, increasingly into uh, conversation intelligence but that's how we got started, and that's a that's and that's a pretty exciting story. That's amazing. That's it's always nice to organically discover the problem because you're you're living through it. You're you're building something already in that, and I think it just it's a it's a nice way to launch a company. Okay, so today, uh, Pattern AI, you mentioned you moved towards conversation intelligence. So quickly for our listeners who don't know, what does the company do today and what customers, like what type of customers do you serve? Okay, so I'll start with the second question first. So we typically serve enterprises uh, because that's, uh, it's. I think it's easier to go to, uh, to start off with a B2B company today because uh, there are lots of B2B problems that are uh, completely unsolved, uh, including segmentation still unsolved. There's, you know, there's churn prediction. There are all these different things that people are solving for uh, in these machine learning companies, both established and, uh, and startups. Um, so we're serving enterprise customers typically, you know, it, it can be anywhere from a small uh, startup to anywhere to we have, you know, Fortune 50 companies, including, you know, many household names whose, you know, whose names you'd recognize. And uh, so we solve the problems that uh, that they care about around conversations. And so our focus on conversation intelligence is there are kind of three components to it. So we have what we call Pattern AI meetings. So the first product is still there, which is an automated segmentation product. We call that Pattern AI segments. Our second product is Pattern AI Meetings. And Pattern AI Meetings has kind of three components to it. The first is a uh, what we call an AI note taker. And you might start to see a couple of these out there. There's some uh, companies kind of popping up in the space. You know, the VCs would tell us, oh, the space is noisy, everybody's doing that. Um, it's, it's not noisy, it feels noisy as an entrepreneur, but if you go out in the market, you talk with people, nobody has an AI note taker. It's a completely untapped opportunity. And, uh, and there's a second reason that markets get noisy, typically like machine learning is today or ML AI, because it's a really, it's a really exciting space to be in. And entrepreneurs are people who typically recognize that, uh, typically before other people do. And they say, wow, there's a lot that we can do here. And typically it's people who've been solving a problem for, you know, five, 10, 15 years or whatever or more. And they say, wow, now I finally got the tool that we can do that with. And that's why you're seeing all this kind of excitement in the space. But our focus is uh, building this AI note taker. And this note taker is effectively a robot. Uh, pattern, as we call it, uh, colloquially, pattern is uh, your own personal cloud robot. And it can attend meetings with you, um, something like this call here, or Zoom, or, you know, or, or, you know, Teams calls or whatever with you and automatically record, transcribe, and then analyze that, that call for you. So it's sort of like, you know, the record button on steroids, uh, but instead of hitting the record button, it does a whole bunch of super exciting stuff after uh, you hit the record button. The second thing is that at the center of that, uh, or, uh, 
platform effectively is what we just call the system of record for your meetings here. And so there is no system of record for your conversations like this one here. This will probably go in your Google Drive somewhere or some other place or whatever. Will be. This is kind of unique software you're using here. But imagine Teams or Google Meet or something like that. There is no place that stores that across all those different cross-platform. Uh, and so we're building that as well. And we think that that's a big opportunity. And then the third element, which is uh, most exciting and also happens to be the hardest part of it, which is the true kind of ML, AI, and data science and so on, is conversation intelligence, which is show me the hidden patterns in these calls. So if we took all of your podcasts and you gave them the pattern and say, here, pattern, go crunch all these uh, conversations that you know Pratik has had in, in your uh, podcast, uh, pattern would start to see just that. It would see the patterns in these conversations. And so uh, your second question is, you know, what are the applications and so on, is really... If you're in a you know in a sales environment, it's are our sales reps saying the things that we think and hope that they should be saying? If you're in marketing, it's what are the customers saying? Because we've got to start building the products and tailoring our messaging to what customers are saying. In product, it's what are customers saying and so on. Uh, if you're in management, it's what are our people saying? So all across your enterprise, it's very hard to see what what people. Are, it's actually it's impossible uh, without something like pattern to see what uh, people are saying in your enterprise, including yourself in your own conversations. And uh, so we solved that problem by applying machine learning to that and, and identifying the hidden patterns in those conversations. And, and we think that's a, a pretty exciting. It's one of many, many enterprise problems you can solve with machine learning. But, you know, you have to be focused. And so that's what we're focusing on. Right. Right. No, that's that's an amazing uh, way to kind of understand how uh, it's applied in the enterprise machine learning. And uh, and actually, it's it's interesting because there's so much data being generated just kind of conversations can take can can take many forms and kind of understanding and synthesizing what's in there it's actually a pretty interesting problem okay so you've been a, a founder for about 3 years now and as a as a second time founder what are you doing differently this time and also what remains the same like best practices that you want to kind of inherit from your previous company and uh, yeah uh, what are you doing differently as well that's funny. I, my first answer was going to be, I'm doing everything differently because uh, I made so many mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> I made so many mistakes right. the first time. I do not want to repeat those mistakes. I, hopefully, I think I got, uh, and I can see it today, I I've, I've got most of my rookie mistakes out of my system in the first company. But there's some stuff that I'm doing differently. One thing that I'm definitely doing the same is uh, we're being very customer, uh, very, very customer focused. Um, so, you know, there's this idea that entrepreneurs have that you know you kind of have this you know really big idea this exciting idea and it's usually a good starting point and that's always the spark i think at some level even if it's from a customer conversation you get this idea um but it's important not to make that uh your idea but to have that be the starting point for what will eventually be the you know quote unquote big idea and so uh what we did really well with uh, with my first company is we were super focused on customer conversations. I happen to be pretty outgoing and I love talking with people, uh, you know, like you and customers and so on. And so for me, it's really fun to go to, you know, a networking event and just talk with people and just say, hey, what do you, you know, what do you, you know, what are you solving for? What are you hearing? And um, I get lunch with people a lot. I get coffee with people. Uh, I'm on calls like this. And, um, you know, I just listen very, very carefully to what people are saying. And I think that that's, 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 harder than people think uh, it is to do because what the best entrepreneurs do is they're able to connect the dots better than anybody else. And the very best entrepreneurs, as I always tell our team internally, are able to connect the dots when there's only one dot, 
if you can imagine that, right? So everybody can connect the dots and you see a lot of, you know, you see many DCs doing this, you see many entrepreneurs doing this um, and they're, they're, you know, they play the momentum game, which is, you know, if I give a huge scatter plot that looks like a, you know, a regression model, of course, I can tell you that, you know, if it goes up and to the right, that the next thing is probably gonna be somewhere in that general vicinity where all the other dots are. The real question is down the lower left there, which is when there's one dot, can you see where things are going? And you typically can do that with customer conversations. That's one thing we're doing really well. The second thing that we're doing the same is uh, that we're being very, very deliberate in doing small things and we're not taking on too much. I think my first step, the other side of the coin to that is what we did the first time is I had so many ideas and I was so... I think excited to be an entrepreneur and just, you know, kind of like a, you know, a kid in a candy shop. I want to do this. I want to do that. And I think that kind of uh, that leads to the temptation to be unfocused. And I think right now what we're doing, I think even better than we did the first time, uh, not making the mistake we did the first time is we're just super focused. Like there's a ton of stuff we can do around ML. And I just think, man, I'd love to do that. But I'm just saying, you know what, we're going to go on conversation intelligence because there's a bunch of stuff you can do around. You could do generative, you can do that. And it's like, you know, we could do computer vision, just we're doing this one thing, right? And so I think especially, and for, you know, any of the entrepreneurs out there who are listening is um, pick a lane and just go deep on that. This is a very long-term space. This is not a 10-year thing. You don't have to be first right now. It's, this is a 5,200 plus year cycle here. And so it's going to serve you for the rest of your career to go deep on MLA. And anybody, and of course, your user, your audience is clearly in this space, but anybody who's not thinking about machine learning and artificial intelligence as the backdrop of their career over the next 30 years is like, I'm not aware of the internet. And it's like 2000, like this is the next big thing. In <laughs> fact, my, my perspective is going to be bigger than the internet, but you got to be focused in this space. Uh, you can make a lot of mistakes with, with logic-based software. If you're going to make parking lot management software and do that kind of thing, you can make a lot of mistakes. Machine learning demands a huge amount of rigor and focus because it's just not easy to do. And so you got to be focused. And I think that's a, that's one thing that we didn't do as much in our first company. We're doing much more today is just focusing on one problem and being the world's uh, leading, um, you know, people with a, the deepest perspective and solution on that single problem, which for us is conversation intelligence. That's amazing. And you really hit it on the hit the nail on the head with, with focus, right? Especially in this market where. There's so many tools out there, so many people trying to do too many things. And during this time, uh, your biggest lever or biggest strength could be focus, right? Do one thing really, really well, and then you'll get way ahead. And also, it, what you said, is it's a good segue into my next question. You've been a management consultant for years, most recently at McKinsey. And I can imagine a number of those skills, soft skills, translate really well to enterprise SaaS? Because when you deal with large companies, right, how you work with them. So what skills do you think translate well into your role today as, uh, as somebody who's running an enterprise SaaS company? Yeah, these are all great questions, by the way. I, you, I can see you're an experienced uh, podcast host because I love these <laughs> questions. So Thank you. I do have an answer and a perspective on that, which is really important and for you know all the entrepreneurs out there who are listening. And by the way, I would say for anybody, even in corporate who's listening, is you have to start. So at McKinsey, you know, McKinsey is so expensive, you know, it's whatever it is. It's you know, it can be ten million dollars a month, but it, you know, it's not fifty thousand dollars a month, right? This is you're talking about millions of dollars a month. And so you're talking about a million dollars a week hundreds of thousands of dollars a week. So on the first week, you can't kind of show up to the Steerco, you know, which is, you know, the big meeting 
uh, with the client and say, yeah, you know, we're still working on insights. They're like, hey, we've just paid you, you know, a huge <laughs> amount of money. You better have some. In-. So how do you solve for that? And McKinsey's got a great approach, which is you start with the answer. So it's, it's you know, McKinsey, we call, talk about the day one hypothesis or the day one answer, which is here's the answer. And then you develop the sources of insight. They're going to get you to that answer. And then you work backward uh, or work back to that. And so if you think about what we do today as entrepreneurs is we go to you know our customers, which are enterprises, and we say to them, what questions do you have? Now, that's a great way to lead into what the answer is. Ask a question, get an answer. So then we start to think about, okay, so your question is, you know, what are our sales reps saying on phone calls? Okay, great. We can get some ideas and perspectives, which is kind of the McKinsey approach, on what we think the answer to that question looks like. Now let's go back and start to build something that's going to get you those answers. And if, and if as we're seeing that people have that same question across enterprises, then uh, we can start to really, really, you know, pressure test that, that answer and start to really build a pipeline out that's going to get us to that answer faster and faster. And it's still early because we're waiting for, you know, the, the, the people building the large language models. So OpenAI and, you know, or, or Amazon or NVIDIA or Google to build the models that enable us to do that. Because I don't want to spend my next, you know, 15 years building a model that allows me to answer those questions. So I'm, I'm kind of waiting for the, you know, I said, I say that there are five, there are five real AI companies. Every, we're, the rest of us are just riding on their coattails, right? Uh, so we're waiting for those so-called real AI companies that spend literally tens of millions of dollars to build a language model that can help us mine those conversations and get that. And we, and we can work to those answers faster and faster and faster and to the point where hopefully it's just fully automated. But that, that's um, starting with the answer is the first uh, takeaway from, uh, from McKinsey. Right, that's actually a, a really good insight, and uh, and you're right. Like when you work with big companies and you charge you know, a premium, you better show up with answers on day one. Like it, it, does, it doesn't matter <laughs> if it's fair or not. It doesn't matter because the expectation from a premium priced product is you have the answers and you have them now. Right, so it's it's very interesting kind of understanding how that works. Okay, so all right now let's let's go back to the initial days of, of pattern AI, like you, you're there, you launched the company, you have zero customers. So how did you go from zero to five? Like, what did you tell them? How did you approach them? How did you convince them to give you a shot? So this is an advantage I have now, because having you know, done this, I have a, a super, you know, strong network here in the Valley and, it, you know, like, <laughs> nice. um, and that, and that is the result of years and years of building relationships with people and, and kind of two things. One is asking lots of questions and just getting smart. Number two is being valuable to people. And so uh, at the end of the day, you know, I think you've got to, you have to kind of find your tribe and you have to kind of work within that tribe. And, and this, you know, the Valley is a tribe. It is of course, but you have to kind of go within that and say, who are the in a group of people that I work with? Uh, a big part of my network are uh, go-to-market leaders, so all the customer-facing people like sales and marketing and customer success, and and that is a huge chunk of any enterprise. And so my network is very deep on that. So it's less on the you know the data engineering side, although that space is now growing with my network as well. But um, so the first thing I did is drew upon my network, and that's the, that's the, a major advantage you can have both for fundraising and also for uh, for building out your uh, your company is to go to current. Uh, friends and colleagues and say, you know, hey, Pratik, um, I want to share a couple things. And here's my approach. And this is what I learned at McKinsey. I kind of came up with this is you go get coffee with people or lunch or you just hop on Zoom or whatever, but but go meet in person if you can. And just it's it's really three questions or th- kind of three things. The three bullets are here's what I'm working on. What do you think? 
and what are next steps, right? So you kind of arrive with a perspective. So I don't just go get coffee with you. I arrive with a perspective and say, hey, I'd like to share some things that we're thinking about, our perspective on the universe and the market. Uh, what do you think about that? Cool. Um, who should I be talking to? And if it's a problem that they have, they'll say, oh, you should talk with so-and-so over in our marketing team because they'll love this. Or you should talk with so-and-so on the marketing team at you know company B because I think they'll love that. And that conversation of here's what I'm working on, what do you think, who should I talk to next, is typically going to generate um, some exciting opportunities for you. And that's how we started. That's amazing. And you're absolutely right. I think having a, a network and cultivating it, uh, you know, being useful in general to your to your peers, I think it, it goes a long way. And and when you're launching something new, uh, it, yeah, you can get a head start. Okay, so moving on to let's say the, the early days, uh, it's going well. And in startups, the first couple of years, it's just about running experiments until something works, right? Because you don't you have a hypothesis, you have a few assumptions, and you want to test what works and what doesn't. So, can you? share an example of an internal project or an internal initiative that really moved the needle for pattern AI? And also, conversely, what was something that you thought would definitely move the needle, but it turned out it didn't do anything for the company? Yeah. Well, so I'll answer the second question first, which didn't move the needle. So our segmentation product is an amazing product. The problem with it, though, is that a lot of people say, well, we already know who we sell to. And you know, I got tired of telling people, no, you don't, because I know that our product can do it better. But if people think that they do, I'm not going to try to convince them, right? I, as I always say, I'd, I'd, rather convert, I'd rather convert believers into fanatics than skeptics into believers, right? So I said, okay, so let's, <laughs> let's, you know, let's, yeah, let's not sell, let's not try to convince people that we can do segmentation better than they can. But because we built this intelligent machine with this really sophisticated data pipeline, which is basically pattern kind of sits in the middle, give it your data, pattern analyze that data and shows you patterns, which are these, you know, visually compelling answers to your very specific questions. That's what Pattern AI does. Okay, so a large tech company, a household name, uh, gave us a call and said, um, hey, we've got, you know, 1000, you know, Zoom recordings. And, you know, from our sales reps, you know, can your machine can pattern analyze those? And of course, being entrepreneurs, we said, of course it can. <laughs> so we're like, go back to the team <laughs> right. and say, hey, look, uh, this big tech company that everybody knows, like, you know, this top 10 tech company calls us up and says, uh, get ready because they're going to give us a bunch of, you know, Zoom calls to analyze. And so, um, so we did. And what was great was we found a way to leverage our existing data pipeline. So we, we, we you know, we use AWS and, uh, but the, you know, they're largely the same. And so we ran the data. We, we basically loaded these, you know, thousand or so calls in the platform. And they said to us, this is great. They just said, hey, okay, we're going to give you all these calls. And uh, only one of these calls was a successful sales call. We're not going to tell you which one it was, but which one was it, right? And you've got four days to give us the answer. We're like, oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> so we take all these calls and we have, um, you know, we have a great team, super diligent and uh, great problem solvers, which is you know, we get paid to solve problems. And so that's what we did. And so we came back, we analyzed all the calls and then uh, a couple of people on the team had some really good insights. We came back, we present them as, as slides, actually, because the product wasn't built for conversation intelligence. And uh, and we said, OK, here was the call. This is we think we think this is the call. And there was this pause and they just said, that was it. How'd you know? And then so we went through it and we had this and we had the answer. And then we said to ourselves, you know, we're like, wow, that's amazing. If they have that problem and that's this big company, I can and they're and they are like, you know, one of the world leading, you know, AI companies. It's, you know, it's a company you know. And and I said to the guy, I said, Hey, I mean, you you're like, you're like 
the you like you you created AI. Like what's going on? You have thousands of data scientists, and he goes, "We have data scientists. I don't have data scientists." And then the light bulb went on, and we said, "Okay, this is amazing. If those companies don't have data scientists, you know, in that team, then imagine every single other company in the world. Let's go solve this problem that we think everybody else is going to have." And then we kept iterating that problem. We realized. Hey, everybody's asking the same question. You know, what are our sales reps saying? Which sales call is good? Which one's bad? And then we solve for that. So uh, that's how we got started with that. Oh, that's awesome. And once you sign up a new customer, right, and they, they're happy with you, they start using start using the product. Now, how do you ensure that the users succeed with your product and they come back for more? Like, what's your process for customer success and growth? So I am, uh, as CEO, I am the head of sales, I'm the head of customer success, and, and sometimes <laughs> the head of support. <laughs> Our product team actually handles support. Um, that's a joke and basically saying that you've just got to just jump on, you know, every customer need, no matter what it is, right, from sales to customer success. So the first thing we do is we have feedback from our system that tells us whether or not people are using the product. And that's really important because if we onboard, you know, Pratique and, and your company, and we don't see you using the product, well, um, that's not bad. It just means there's something going on. And we found just we found over time that there was, oh, okay, they're not doing it because of this problem or that problem. And so we start to unlock the product because we're finding out or we give you a call. Hey, uh, we know you're not using the product yet. Why is that? And you say, oh, well, because um, I can't find out where to log in. Okay, great. Let's make the login button bigger, that kind of thing. Right. But, so first thing we did is, is just get uh, feedback from the product and who's using the product. And then what we typically do, we set up these Slack channels with customers. You see this today. There are a lot of companies that are really good at this. We kind of learn from them. But uh, this interaction with Slack is amazing. So it's not just email. We can just quickly ping people and say, hey, or they can ping us. What about this? What about that? And so this constant interaction, the ability to listen to customers and have conversations with them has been uh, really, really huge. And then the third and most important thing is just to respond as quickly as possible. So there are a hundred things that matter in a startup on any given day at any given moment, right? But there's only one that's the first priority. And so as a as a startup leader or whoever you are in that organization, you have to understand always what that first priority is and just focus on that. So there are you know three things that are pretty urgent and they need to be done tomorrow, but there's one thing that needs to be done right, right now. It's always customer-facing stuff is always a first priority. And so we just quickly respond if they give us feedback and say, hey, this is broken. You know, can't use your product because that would just jump on that and fix it right away. Right. Actually, that's that's a really good point, like speed of response. I think it matters a lot, especially when you're dealing with customers. And uh, just kind of it builds trust. And more than anything, they... They know that, okay, this company cares. This company gives a damn about me and solving my problem because uh, what happens is they're using your tool to run their business and uh, it could be a hindrance, right, if, if your tool is not working. All right, so I have one final question before we move into the rapid fire round. You are a product company, but larger company, larger customers, they tend to have custom requirements. Like when you, as a, as a young company, you go to a large company, they'll say, we need all these features and you, we need you to implement this and, and build this for our environment. So as a, as, a, as a founder, how do you maintain product discipline as you continue to serve bigger and bigger companies? Yeah, boy, that's a great question. Um, as a management consultant, I spent you know, years helping people kind of you know, be disciplined and answer that uh, question hopefully successfully. Uh, the real answer is you have to know 
you, you have to have a vision of where your product is going to go. And so let's say we're focused on conversation intelligence. We want to make sure that people can get their robot into a meeting to record and transcribe that call and then to analyze it. And so if somebody has a request for something that's completely outside of our system, then, you know, if they say, like, for example, we don't have WebEx today. Now, somebody may call to call us and say, hey, we want WebEx, but we don't have that. It's typically, do we really see a long-term path for that? And if we do, then, and this is a really big customer that's going to pay us a lot of money. There's a big growth potential and it fits within our vision and roadmap. Then we're going to prioritize that, put it in the roadmap. And it may not be for next week because there's other stuff, but it's going to go in that sort of directional roadmap that we're thinking about. If somebody calls us up and says, hey, you know, we want to start, you know, doing rocket ship missions to Mars. Can you do that? And we're good problem solvers. And maybe we could do that. But we just say, you know what, that's just it just is too far out of our uh, roadmap, not necessarily capabilities, but roadmap. And so we just say no. So I guess the the short answer is you just have to know when to say no and when something makes long term sense and when it's going to feed you long term. And if it feeds your long term vision, then the answer is usually yes. Yeah, I think learning to say no and also recognizing what feeds your long-term vision. It's a very important skill, I think, um, often not not ignored, but most people come under pressure and they're like, you know, let's just do it because it's a company, they're going to pay us something. And then um, before you know it, you're running seven different projects. It's not a product anymore. So it's very uh, it's important. All right, with that, we are at the rapid fire round. I'm going to ask a series of questions and would love to hear your answers. You ready? Cool. Yeah, I'm ready. I like it. All right. Question number one. What's your favorite book? Tough question. I'll put this in the context of business. Uh, probably Shoe Dog by Phil Knight. I don't know if you've read it, but it's just an amazing book. It's a, I mean, Nike is just an incredible company and he's a super authentic human being. And, and there's, you know, there's sadness and, and tragedy in the book. And there's some super great stories that just um, every book I've Every person I've recommended that book to has stopped me in the street and said, wow, thanks for making that recommendation. That's a great book. And it really is. It's something I would read again. It's a great book. No, I, I love that book, especially, as you said, uh, first of all, it's a wonderful story. Like, And the, the hardships they had to go through in the early days of Nike. And also, I, th- I feel like even in the middle of all the hardships, there's some humor in the book as well, which I, I really liked at the early days. So I, it's, it's wonderful. All right. Next question. What tool do you end up using the most for your work today? That's a great question. There are so many tools. Um, I'll answer that by the tool, two tools I could not live without. One is, and this is not a, a product placement, uh, it really is Pattern AI, uh, my note taker. Like if I go to a meeting, even this call, I'm like, where's my robot? Like, where's my robot? Like, <laughs> I want my robot on this call and I don't have it. Um, I couldn't live without having my own robot on my call with me. So that's, so Pattern AI is number one. Uh, and then Slack. Uh, I used to hate Slack. I just thought it was too noisy and too, you know, intrusive. I liked the control of email back when I was at McKinsey. Um, and now I just can't imagine doing a startup without Slack and connecting with customers and just rapid, you know, quick iterations with the team as uh, Slack is, uh, it's a great tool. So those are the two. Right, right. What has been the biggest development in AI over the last three years? Oh, um, I'm going to take a different tack on that question because I think, you know, it's easy to point to the models. It's easy to point to, you know, every talk about the model GPUs, you know, or compute power and data. Um, I think what's interesting is the business models that are emerging. So the ability for a company like ours, and as I would say, there are five real AI companies. The rest of us are just sort of riding on their coattails. The ability for us to make an API call to, you know, something sitting over at, you know, Amazon or NVIDIA, 
um, you know, NVIDIA's got this new Riva model, which is really incredible. Like for us to be able to to leverage the super smart brain power of like, you know, a team of people over at Riva who built this incredible model, and then to build them all on top of that is amazing. It would take us decades and tens of millions of dollars literally to do what they're already doing. And so that collaboration. Uh, we're part of NVIDIA Inception, by the way, which is if you're an entrepreneur, it's a, they're just an amazing company. But uh, and we use AWS, and it's it's incredible. The business models are transforming the ability of entrepreneurs like us who are small to be able to go out there and do really big things that we could never possibly do otherwise. So uh, let them think about the compute and the data and all that kind of stuff because they're going to build the models. We're going to focus on uh, business model efficiency and just getting access to AI from you know for for pennies on on the hour or whatever it costs. It's incredible. <laughs> yeah, that's actually a really unique perspective. And, and I agree. I think the business model innovation or the maturity and kind of how that's supporting the growth of AI, it's, it's incredible. Because a lot of times, the easy answer, most of the guests, they go with uh, generative models like or, or Dolly or Transformers, the like biggest development. But I think what's powering all of this is, is the underlying business model that you can use to build a business on top. So uh, yeah, I, I agree. All right, next question. In terms of career building, what's a common mistake made by early stage ML practitioners? I could broaden that actually to any technology entrepreneur, which is a, a problem specific to tech entrepreneurs, which is to, you know, to be obsessed with the technology rather than the customer or the problem. And if I just had one advice on that is just focus on the customer and, and don't focus on the tech. You'll get tons of tech out. Um, um, you get it completely out of your system by the time you serve that customer's needs. You'll have more fun with the tech than you could, but don't start with the tech. Start with the customer and then you'll build the tech for them and you'll have the, you'll have the, you know, the joy ride that you went with tech, but solving their problem. Right. What's your favorite interview question? I ask everybody this, and people can attest to this. Um, I don't ask a technical question because it's the tech. The tech comes and goes. Transformers will be outdated in you know two years, five years, whatever it is, right? I'm less interested in the tech. I'm more interested in how people think about the problems in the market because that's what we we get paid, uh, so to speak. We get rewarded as entrepreneurs to solve big problems that are achievable. Uh, and to do that in a very elegant way that nobody else can do in the way that we do, right? So we get paid to solve problems. I'm interested in, in knowing how people think about problems. And so the question I always ask is, what do you know about machine learning and AI that nobody else in the world knows? What's your unique perspective on the market? And uh, you hear some interesting responses like that. If people come up with, you know, I think it's really cool to be able to paint pictures with machines. I'm like, well, that's, you know, that's pretty obvious. Everybody knows that. But what do you know that nobody else knows is usually a, a really interesting question. Amazing. All right. Final question. What's your number one advice to founders who are building machine learning products? Is, I, I would broaden this again to founders anywhere because machine learning is going to be everywhere. Like machine learning will be, and it already is sort of today, it'll be like software. Like it's just going to be everywhere. But th the advice to any founder is, is have a network of relationships that you develop over time. It's why typically, um, you know, it's easy to start a company, be successful when you have those relationships and probably in kind of, you know, three buckets. There are people who can work with you to solve a problem. These are collaborators, typically, uh, you know, specialists on problems, data engineers, because you're a data scientist or data scientists because you're, you're a data engineer or marketers because you're a data scientist, not a marketer. It takes a team of people 
with all these specialized skills to come and do that. So have that relationship, have the relationship of, of customers that you can go call. If it's B2C, then, you know, then be somebody who's got a deep network uh, like you might with your podcast, with a big audience of consumers who are listening to, you know, what you have to say and so on. And the third thing is, you know, you need a lot of capital to build a machine learning company. It's, it's not a cheap endeavor. It takes expensive people and expensive data engineering and pipelines and things like that. And um, it takes a long time to build functional products that run. You need to have investor relationships. You know, I can, you know, we could have a whole different podcast about that. You know, if you don't go pitch investors, just go meet with them and the same three things. Here's what I'm working on. What do you think? Who should I talk to next? I'm not pitching you. I just want to, you know, share what we're working on. But when you have a, uh, a group of investors, you know, like we do, we raised, you know, just a little short of five and a half million in our seed round, largely because of, you know, a network of relationships that I have, and then the relationships that those investors have with uh, their own investors. But relationships are at the end of the day, uh, it's what makes us human. And that's what makes the world go round. And so I would say build relationships, and they're going to come back and, and, uh, and uh, help you in many, many ways. That's that's really good to hear, and actually such good advice in terms of something that's gonna matter uh, in the long run because it takes time to build relationships, and the dividends that you expect may not be immediate. But if you keep building your network, when the time is right, you can you can lean on them, you can go out there, and you'll have a, a head start. So, uh, Greg, thank you so much for sharing your insights. This has been a, a wonderful episode. And uh, yeah, it's just thank you. it's just amazing to see. On one hand, I can see the scar tissues you've been doing this a while, and the stories <laughs> and the and the lessons uh, are hard earned. And I think uh, it just just comes through. So uh, thanks again. Yeah, thanks so much, Pratik. Really enjoyed. I hope we do this again sometime, uh, and I look forward to it. What an amazing conversation on a range of topics, including conversation intelligence, being a second time founder how to get your first five customers, how to choose your customers, how to maintain product discipline, why building a, a network is important, and so much more. Thanks to Greg for coming on to the show. You can visit infinitemachinelearning.com to subscribe to the podcast. Thanks again for tuning in. I'll see you soon with another amazing episode.